0: Hi, it's Friday morning, or are getting there, I'm sorry, I'm behind schedule, but this is a big week. Had this the third one, I'm doing it, third podcast, I'm doing this week, since it's Hanukkah. I didn't want a chronic early week, and then I tried to keep to the schedule to do some yard cycling on um, Wednesday, and yesterday was just packed, I had the singles group at my house and all this stuff. Uh, thank God I have a full schedule, but you know, I have to send my grades off, so here we are Friday, looking at, what now, the Parsha podcast. Again, I want to uh, thank everybody very much who've been contributing in the last couple of days also uh, to help out. We have, uh, like I say, big expenses over here. I just got a bunch of bills that are for, for items that are proposed for me. You can't buy them yet, and uh, the expenses to pay the people. Hi, and uh, some of you have really responded very generously in one way or the other. I particularly want to call out uh, Chet from uh, Indiana, who uh, somebody I never knew. I know there's a lot of people that don't know there. sent something very uh, moving. And uh, we're about halfway, we're a little more than halfway there. I can't believe it. It's a lot of money, so yeah, about halfway there. Hopefully... People will continue to tribute. I'll be able to get 100% of what we need, and then stop all this business. But meanwhile, we have like a little bit of a financial crisis over here, so I appreciate all the help of oh, those of you can who can send anything in. Thanks a lot. And now, let me get down to business. We're looking at Parshish Miketz, or Miketz if you want to be dick about it. And as you know this, let me see, what can I talk about? As we know, Miketz is always a Hanukkah. You know, it works. Either sometimes it's Vayeshav and Mikates, or else sometimes it's Mikates and, and, and Vayigash. But it's always Mikates, right? So that means that every rabbi and his brother is always, you know, you see the varts, they always try to connect somehow Rabbi. You know, over the years, a million of them. What's the connection between Hanukkah and, and uh, what do you call it, and uh, Parshish's Mikates? A classic one is here you have oil for one day, last for eight days, and then the dream that you see of Pharaoh's dream and Mikates is, you know, also a defiance of, of uh, physics. The skinny cows swallow, swallow the fat cows, and you can't tell that they're uh, uh, you know that they ate them. boy oh boy, we would like to have that medicine today. <laughs> you can eat you can eat a cow, veluna dacti and he still look skinny. Oh boy, that that would be pretty good. Uh, we'll call it the mecate's pill. Uh, but in more serious vein, what strikes me about Mikates. I guess, would be the following. Here you have you know. I can't help but it, since it's Hanukkah time, and like I mentioned the other day, people are affected by the Maharal system and the other metaphysics and you know meta history and historiosophy and theosophy, you know the ultimate meanings behind all these Hanukkah events. Again, I'm not talking about the regular physical history of Hanukkah, which is what I spoke about in uh, the other day in Muncie, and uh, you, ha- you can get it online also from long ago. I think I mentioned that, but I'm talking about more the ideational connections. So here we have what we call Golos Yavon, don't we? Uh, Which is predicted in the book of Daniel, as I tried to say the other day. And is a fundamental staple of Chazal's way of thinking. The four Goloses. There's a Golos, you know, of Bavel and Persia and and Yavon. And then Rome, it seems, or possibly Shmuel. Now, that means Yavon is hardwired into the Jewish meta-thought, meta-history. But that's from the time of Daniel. Daniel, as you lived at, as you perhaps may know, lived at the end of the Bais Rishon, uh, more or less Bais Rishon to the by, to end of Bais Rishon, beginning Bais in that in that period, and uh, so he's talking al Haba, so from his time on there'll be, you know, the the four guloses above El Persia, Greece, and Rome. However, the Jewish people underwent a uh, different exile. Perhaps I could call it a fifth exile, long before then. That's Egypt. And the Gullahs Mithraim left a lot of marks on us, just like all the other Gullahs leave marks on us. Because uh, that's one of the features of Gullahs. The Jews have to undergo all these uh, periods of exile, and they cannot fail to be impacted by it. After all, as i said many times, I'm giving this talk in the English language, and I can't help but thinking like an American. I may mean, I think exactly like every other American on the street. I mean, I get that. You're from Jew. But nevertheless, you are thinking very American. Can't help it. A yecky... Back a hundred years ago, couldn't help thinking like a German, you know. You can't help it. So uh, the Jews who lived in Yavan got Yavanized to some degree, the Hellenized. I always like to point out who was the biggest rabbi in Perkyovis after Shemnasadik, Antigonus. Right? What kind of name is that? That's a real Geisha name. And many of the Tanaim and people like that had these Greek names. So, and I'm just pointing down. I'm just making a dot out of what's an ocean, the a drop out of an ocean. The Jews were thoroughly Hellenized in many many places in terms of culture. However, they did not give up their religion. Now, if you ask me a question, which is uh, unusual, if you ask me a question, was the Jewish religion affected by Hellenism? The answer is, of course, yes. But, uh, you know, how much? And Hanukkah has to do a lot with that kind of a question of how much. The uh, some uh, We are familiar on Hanukkah in discussing the Missyogdom, as they call them now. If you read the Book of the Maccabees and all that, you'll see that there were the Frum Jews on the one side and the Bad Jews on the other side. However, that's too black and white. What I mean by that is, yes, it's true, yeah, the Maccabees and people like that, the Frum on the one side, that doesn't mean each guy in the Judah Maccabee side was like ultra-orthodox, Haredi, this and that and the other. Negative. And similarly, it doesn't necessarily mean all the people on the other side were super-duper anti. On the both extremes, they were. Uh, as a matter of fact, to read the Book of Maccabees, the hardcore of the Macian, uh, Maccabean army was a group called the Hasidim which we would today call the Haredim. But that was a hard are plenty not like that. And similarly, although the villains in the specific Hanukkah story, like Jason and Menelaus, were a bunch of Amzerim, no question about that. They were extreme on the left wing, no question about that. But there resilient zillion Jews out there at the time of Hanukkah before and after, who were what we would call moderately Hellenistic, and these would be the people who read the Torah in Greek, and, you know, that sort of thing, and uh, uh, even Adkade I'm sure you know that the, uh, the the Jews in Egypt even constructed their own base on Migdash, parallel to the one in Jerusalem. It's called Migdash Konya, the Temple of Onais. And the Gemara by no means is is a clear. I mean, it was not a, a Vodazor center. So what do you call that? Uh, from a strictly halachic, you know, a narrow point of view, you're not allowed to do it. Well, guess what? They did it for 500 years. So there were tons of... From This is a problem you have for people who have a, a very... Uh, uh, ne- a narrow and, and, and hard, rigid definition of what's from or not from, what do you do with people that do things that you consider to be very anti-from or usser? and nevertheless they're like Shomer Shabbos, 100% or, you know, as much as anybody else and Kajras and Tashrach, all the rest of it I'll give you an example off the top of my head you're going to laugh at what I'm saying and I don't, I, it's witty, but I don't mean it to be funny from a strictly technical point of view, is a from Jew allowed to have a TV or internet? You know, something like that. The answer is no. Go ask any big rabbi or something like that. It's totally us, And yet, everybody does. Okay? In America, for sure, and in other countries, I don't know. You know, like I said before, the one that doesn't have a TV in the front has in the back. I hope I didn't skip anything. This thing is is acting funny on me. But as I said before, everybody has a TV, or if they don't have a TV, many don't, but they have internet, it was the same thing, you know. So, what I'm trying to say is, I know there are people that fight valiant battles, they do and try to control these things, and everybody should help them. But I'm simply pointing out that from a certain point of view, how can you have something like a television, or I'll be more blunt, how can somebody watch this kind of show, or that kind of thing, and still consider them from Jew? But nevertheless, they do, right? And I mean, seriously. So I'm just trying to point out, you can't give a very rigid definition and look back in history any more than you can in contemporary sociology and say, because this guy did this and this, or this woman did that and that, they weren't from, when from. Many Jews in the Hellenistic period, which is the Hanukkah period, before and after, combined, you know, they did things here, they did things, you know, they did Jewish things, they did not. You know, Greek things, and it's weird, the best example that comes to mind is this parallel base of migdash that they had all during the Hanukkah time and all the rest of it, called the migdash Chonyo, and perhaps you might remember from the Gemara Megillah, the first paragraph, I'm just going off the top of my head, they talk about what's the status of a Cohen who served in the Migdash Choni? Can he serve in the in, in the Temple of in Hamigdash in Yerushalayim. How can you even have such a Havamina? So I'm just trying to tell you, life is complicated, and it's fascinating. Now, I was simply trying to make the point that the Jews were impacted culturally by the uh, the Greek culture, even when they didn't go to the point of Jason Menelaus, these other guys, to attack Judaism itself. On the contrary, and the same thing happened in one way or another in um. I mean, you and I are living now. What I just described in terms of television, that kind of thing, was a good example of what I just said in, inside the Golosedom. Uh, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he's pretty doggone Babylonian in many ways, although he's totally from Jew, and even had Ruch HaKodesh. He had a geisha name that was given to him and all the rest of I mean, he had to maneuver in that culture. The Jews were impacted by Babylonian culture, uh, don't they say the shameless of the of the Shemus uh, Hadashim, don't they say the months we use are Gai'sha uh, names? I mean, Elul, Tammuz, and all these names are, are, are uh, Babylonian gods. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that we picked them up. Uh, you know, Tammuz, I'll tell you again, these are all names of the Babylonian deities, but we all incorporate them into the Jewish because that's, we were impacted by that, by the Babylonian culture, for better worse. And even by Persia also, you know, uh, Mordechai is actually a, 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 an Esther. These are Persian names. So and, yeah, it's going to happen the way I said it. Now, there will always be those who, but Yechidim, Yechidim, who, you know, try to have, like, minimal, be impacted by the Geisha culture, and God bless them. You know, there really are. There are people that you can say lived their whole life in base man, which they were, and come out almost nothing from the outside culture. But most people are not like that, especially if they have to work. Why am I going through all this? In this week's Parsha, we have the fifth Gullus that precedes the others, and that's the Gauls of Egypt. The Jewish people, as we all know, underwent a couple hundred years in Gauls of Egypt, and that sure had a big impact on us. Atkedei kach, that we're perhaps suffering still from it today. If the Jews made a golden calf later on when they were panicking on the way out, it because of what they saw in Egypt. And uh, uh, the words, you know, like Anochi, I mean, there are a lot of, lot of, lot of Egyptian words out there, And Moshe's an Egyptian name. And besides the level of names, that's superficial. really is. Uh, At the level of beliefs. God has to warn them repeatedly, don't imitate what you saw in Egypt. Because you can't help but doing that. You know, in the sexual area. And in the uh, gods. And things like that. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, they could take the Jews out of Egypt, but as the question goes, could you take Egypt out of the Jews? And the reason is simple. The Jews have undergone is in many, many different countries. Uh, sometimes they were surrounded by highly impressive cultures, and sometimes not. When they were surrounded by highly impressive cultures, obviously there's a greater magnet to draw the Jews towards it. And when they're less so, then less so. I gave a talk uh, here the other night. Who was it about? I mean, the podcast about the Stekhemet, who's was a rabbi for many years in the Crimea, among the Jews who lived among the Tatars. Well, the Tatars are fine people, but I wouldn't call that a great and powerful culture that impacted the world. Uh, you know, it's a little nothing. And so if you lived over there or like a place among the peasants in the Ukraine or something like that, you're not exactly surrounded by a powerful, impressive culture. Uh, quite the contrary. And so the Jew, when he looked around and saw everybody else illiterate and, you know, uh, barefoot and all that kind of stuff, could feel himself superior in that regard. And so what does that outside culture have to offer me or tempt me? Mashiach and Cain, when you get to Greece, which affects the culture even today, or Rome, or most interestingly, Egypt. After all, my friends, what was the number one most powerful culture, an impressive culture, impressive in its way, in the ancient world 3,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and 4,000 years ago, the time of our ancestors, Avram Yitzhakov and Moshe and Aaron, <laughs> you know, that was Egypt, as we all know. I could, uh, till today, you have Egyptology and people still studying, not only the buildings, not only the pyramids and that kind of stuff, but the culture and the Egypt of it. I myself never took a lot of Egyptology courses. I heard a couple of lectures on some famous e- Egyptologists, and it's not a subject that, uh, that that attracted me, but that's me living thousands of years later, and I did plenty of other culture out there. But way back when, Mitzrayim was the place. I think many of us know this. Uh, and the Jews, if anything, were a little nothing. And so... Uh, God decreed, through the crazy story of Joseph and his brothers, that the Jews will end up in Egypt. Meaning, not in the middle of Saudi Arabia, and not in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and not in the middle of some stupid little uh, Crimea, but uh, the Jews end up in the center, like we would say today, Manhattan. You know, the Jews are uh, exiles the whole people in the epicenter of modernity, as modernity was described three and 4,000 years ago. With a powerful culture with all kinds of religious ideas, and all kinds of cultural ideas and, and a lot of cultural and uh, uh you know uh, um what shall i say uh writings and uh art and thought uh to reflect this and so if you're a regular Jew you look around and say this is pretty doggone impressive it's pretty doggone impressive and what do i have a couple of you know, <laughs> you know uh we have a we have a Stiebel in my neighborhood and you know uh, some guy wears a gartel. i mean it's, it, it it doesn't uh, match um Or let's put it this way, you need a good and very discerning eye to see what's a plus in the Jewish part and the minus in the other part. Now, what's fascinating is the story of Joseph. That's what McCates is about. Who rises, as we all know, to Viceroy, to to top position in, in Egypt. Now, this is very interesting. I remember hearing a story many years ago from Roy Rottenberg, who just had his 80th birthday, and we had a party at his house. And he told me a story from the Munkach Rebbe. You know, the Mechasalazzer was super duper anti-Zionist, super from. And the story is something along the following lines: that a guy went uh, from that area to college and became a doctor, and 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 returned back to Munkach, And was a from guy, hundred percent from guy. Uh, and he went to the Munkach Rebbe with the best intentions in the world, and he said. What can I do? Now that I finished I got my empty and I have my practice and everything, because I'm a and all the rest of it, I want to help the cause. How can I help like we would say today, Kiruv, Yiddishkeit? How you know the younger people should 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 see it's possible to be a from Jew and also go to college. And the story is that the Mechas are basically him, you want to help the young people, go convert to Christianity. Why? Because he held the Rebbe held that on the contrary you pulled it off, but you'll be a temptation for the others, and they won't be able to pull it off. So again, to to pull it from another place, I remember seeing a million years ago somewhere in the old Hadoar, which was the Hebrew uh, newspaper or something like that, a, a journal, a weekly, whatever. My father used to get it also a long, long ago, you know, for Ivrit. And uh, long ago I saw this. And it was an interview at that time with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, believe it or not. And the guy, it was in all in Hebrew. And the guy asked the Lubavitch Rebbe, he said, are you in favor of a college? No way. No way. Ah, you went to college? That's what the reporter asked him. And the Lababash Rebbe said, if I remember correctly, he said like this, just because I jumped off the third floor and didn't break my leg doesn't mean somebody else won't. <laughs> That's another way of saying, I can make it, but not, it's not for everybody. You know what I'm saying? I can do it, it's not for everybody. Basically, the story of Yosef is, he pulled it off, it's not necessarily for everybody. Yosef proves to be, as I call a virtuoso, a genius. He happened to be like that. You know what I'm saying? Happened to be like that. Yosef applied himself to whatever situation, and he, uh, and he excelled. That's who he was. Remember, he was a benzakunim. Benzakunim means he has superior intellect. Isn't that how, the way the English? done? Rashi or somebody translate that in? Zakunim could be a, you know, a, a child of an old age, but I think benzakunim means he's very smart. So Yosef had, uh, un, as we would say today, unusually talented. You know, unusually high IQ, unusually good talents took a while for those talents to manifest themselves, but when they did, they certainly did. He, you know, he became the ruler of Egypt from being a slave. Okay, So, you know, uh, Joseph was a genius. Just because he can pull it off doesn't mean somebody else can pull it off. Joseph knew how to walk a line. On the one hand, he was a from Jew, and on the other hand, he was totally Egyptian. Uh, I have no idea you know, how he uh, walked and talked and dressed, but he knew how to walk and talk and dress among the Goyim. No question about that. And he did marry an Egyptian princess. I don't know how he pulled that off. There is a story, I'm am sure many of us have heard, it's not in the Gemara, it's not in Picker Blaster that Osnos, the girl he married, was really from Dina and so forth. Uh, like I said before, I'm familiar with that matter. I believe it's in Picker of Lezer. It's not a mainline uh, you know, rabbinic source. The Pashab shot is he married an Egyptian prince to get over it with the daughter of Potiphar and his wife. Uh there's ways of explaining all that. And but the but, but Shad goes like this. He married Egyptian princess. That was the mother of his children. That was his wife. He obviously uh, converted to Judaism. When I say convert, I don't mean in the technical sense. I don't think there was halachic conversion at that time. I, you know, who knows? I mean, we're talking about it. thousands of years ago before the Torah was given. So there's all kinds of speculation. I mean, if I wanted to go to Yonatan Eveshitz, I could give a whole, I really could, give a whole discourse on how that worked halachically. But that's for what we call drushah Halacha. I'll be Pashup Shah. You married a Gai'sha woman, and he said, listen, you're marrying me, Got to believe in one God? I'm sure that was a trip. <laughs> you know, how do, how do you do that? And when we raise our family, it has to be on a monotheistic basis, smack in the middle of Egypt. And, you know, we have to keep certain basic missions and this and that and the other. So, uh, I, I don't know how he pulled it off. Uh, but he did. That doesn't mean somebody else can. And as we'll see in next week's partial when the brothers show up, he's very worried about that. And as you know, he eventually says, like, as you guys live in Sharim, he assigns to them, Goshen to live by themselves. Because it will not be good if you intermingle with the Egyptians. I know how to do it. But that doesn't mean you know how to do it. (laughs) And that is very interesting in the context of Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah is one in which, as I said before, in a realistic way, the Jews had to figure out what is the right way to interact in the Greek society and absorb selectively certain pieces of the Greek culture, but not others. And not only at the level of religion, blatant religion. Obviously, a Jews not going to worship the gods. I get that. But in a hundred other ways, what they consider normal, we don't consider normal, and vice versa. So, I can tell you right off the bat, one of the most interesting aspects of the relationship between the Jewish people and the Hellenistic peoples, the Greek peoples, over many hundreds of years down to the Roman Empire, was that the Greeks uh, abhorred circumcision. Okay? They regarded that as an unbelievably disgusting and repulsive mutilation of body. I, the Greeks themselves, they read their books are unbelievably cruel, and they burn, and they uh, a, a slice in half, and torture. And like I told you, the story of Khan and Seven Sons, they fry people in, in in frying pans and things like that. No, they can do all the things they want. But they're the boss. It's their culture. So what they consider normal is normal. What they consider abnormal is abnormal. And the Jews are the subject peoples. And so for the Jews, if they refrain from boiling people, they're weird. And if they practice circumcision, they're super weird. Okay. It's super weird. So that's just one example. There are other mitzvahs also. There was a guy named Peter Schaefer. I remember, a professor wrote a book called Judeophobia, which is the word for anti-Semitism in the ancient world. And he did a nice job in describing various manifestations of these phenomena. And you simply have a different culture. So you and I know this today. We live in the United States of America. Increasingly thoughtful from Jews are worried about the leftward trend of the American culture. I'm not talking about the politics. I'm talking about the culture now. And what do you do about it? And this is Mutter, and this is Mutter, and that's, and now you can't say you're against this, and you can't say you're for that, and all the rest of it. That's like, oh, all of There's such a dissonance between the cultures, it's very hard to bridge it. Now, you can, but you have to be like Yosef. Uh, as I call it, it's the trick of walking, uh, you know, going to the to office New Year's party, office Christmas party, and just holding a your Coke you're in for three hours, and never eating anything, and just pretending like you're having a good time. I mean, there, there's a way of doing it. But it's not push it, you understand? And a lot of people, uh, uh, what's the way, stumble and fall. And so you see, I, th- I think that must have been in Yaakov's mind when later he'll meet Yosef. Like you know, are you a good example for the others? You're not a good example for the others. It's a very weird and strange story. But Yosef has to learn uh, how to do this. Of course he does because he's Yosef. Meaning he's he's a genius. You know he's he's unusually talented. But the question is, what's is the effect going to be in the other brothers? And uh, the effect is, uh, you know, problematic because, as we all know the stories, as long as the brothers are alive, everything's okay in terms of Yiddish guy But they give it another generation or two, when the brothers all die out, it do, indeed it says in the and uh, coming up in, in, in uh, where is it? In uh, Shmos, that when Yosef died, meaning when that whole generation died out, that they stopped practicing circumcision, which was like the one big mitzvah uh, from God. So, uh, questions of assimilation and resistance to assimilation uh, are very blatant, it seems to me, in the parsha of Miketz. Again, Yosef is a model. There always are those Jews that can somehow or other pull it off. But the trouble is, they set so high a bar that, in my mind, it makes it difficult because others who try to imitate them can't do it. And so, uh, you know, if you're a great dreamer and you have special co and this and that and the other, that's one thing. But if not... Uh, which is usually not the case. Most Jews I encounter are not Josephs. They're schleppers, like all of us are. And, you know, you, if you're not endowed with the ability to serve Pharaoh on the one hand, but at the same time be a Shema Shabbos, or as it is described in the book of lechem. Uh, Yosef doesn't need to trafe, he doesn't need to eat with them at the same table. Now, how did he pull it off? He pulled it off. You're saying, on the one hand, he's Tsofnas Paneach. He's oldest, uh, has this high title in Egypt, and on the other hand, he's like we say today. He's uh, uh, you know a fruit <laughs> at at the restaurant when everybody else is eating a steak dinner, because he can't do it a shrimp dinner. Uh, there are people that do that, and in America, many of us find ourselves in these situations from time to time, particularly this time of year. But it's a uh, it's a bummer, you know. It's 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 a uh, it's an act. It it takes a great deal of uh, thought and skill to pull this off. So, me case is, is, is in this regard. There's one other aspect of this, and that is, uh, Yosef is in Gullus. As I said before, this is in Gullus and Mitzrayim. He's the first one. He'll be followed by the others. As we all know the story. Right? He's, uh, the others know the story. Uh, Yosef, as I said before, just has this characteristic he tries to excel. You know, I remember, I would give a shout-out to, I know, uh, Ralphie Frager is going to a... a chemo this week and all this having a challenging time I still remember his bar mitzvah by Weinberg Rashiva Israel. once spoke uh, it's a very famous speech he gave where he said a Ralphie's bar mitzvah and he said you know you be like Yosef Yosef wherever he was whatever his situation he had a handicap of being a slave handicap of being a Hebrew he just tried to excel do the best job he could in that in, where he could and look where he reached I remember he said something like that a long ago it was a famous speech so that's who Yosef was but, uh, you know, the brothers have a much more problematical uh, period in, in, in Egypt, do they not? Do they not? Uh, one last point, very important. Yosef will only succeed in Egypt to the degree that he's of use to the guyim. Pharaoh doesn't make him the prime minister because he likes his face. He doesn't make him a prime minister because he's Jewish. He makes him prime minister in spite of the fact that he's Jewish, as held against him. He's just so good, you can't help it. So we've had people like that in history. They were Jews, and since they were of service to the government, or whoever was the boss, uh, so they were able to rise high. But their uh, prosperity consists entirely of their utility to the Gaim. Um Yosef doesn't, as somebody pointed out, Yosef doesn't dream in Egypt. He interprets the dreams of the Egyptians for them. I think I mentioned that in last week's podcast, I believe. And uh, that's very powerful, because only when the Jew goes to Israel, only when you have your own, do you have your own dreams. Uh, do you think about, uh, you know, uh, expanding your own horizons. Uh, the Jews being in Gullus has held us back for thousands of years. This is a divine plan. It's held us back for concentrating how to fix our own selves as a polity and as a group. Uh, instead, when you're in Gullus, you have to think in, in little terms, small terms. It's not possible throughout our history for any. Think, think about what I'm about to tell you. It's never been possible for anybody to think literally of Claudius Rowe. I mean, the only Gone, for example, could only think about the Jews in Vilna and maybe in Lithuania and maybe, maybe, maybe in Eastern Europe. He can't think about the Jews in Western Europe and the Sparta and this, that, and the other, you know? And same thing, the Benishchai or somebody like that picking up the top of my head. You can only think about the Jews in Baghdad and maybe in Arabia, maybe, 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 maybe. maybe despite him in general, although I, I, I'm not, I don't believe that either. And certainly not the Ashkenazim and the people in America. When Jews are engulfed, it forces you to think in atomized terms. You know, here I am in Baltimore, so I'm thinking, what would be good to help and advance the cause of Judaism in Baltimore, uh, in my soul, you know, uh, perhaps if I think larger in American Jewry today, I'm part of that. I can't go and tell the Jews in Israel what to think. Of. And I ain't got no time to think about the Jews in Argentina, even though there's like a half million Jews in South America. You understand? And Jews in South Africa. That's the gullas. As opposed to when, it, let's just pretend all the Jews lived in Israel. Let's just pretend. So then we're all thinking about the, the all of it. we're all there, and then it's all Baltimore, you know what I mean? It's all one big place. Then you think about what can help the Jewish people as such. This is a powerful point. This is one of the big pluses of Zionism, even though it has all the minuses. Which is that it concentrates the people in one place, and then you start thinking of call Yisrael, per se, you might have a right idea, might have a wrong idea. Israel has no lack of stupid ideas, but you also have some good ones uh when when Yosef is in uh in in uh Egypt, he is compelled until he meets the brothers in you know next week's Parsha when they reconcile, he has to think about Yosef, he has to think about how to uh, you know as we know, what does he name his children Now Shani Elohim I've forgotten. My father's house. That's such a bummer, right? How's it going? Ephraim, Elohim, Baritza, on Ye. Isn't that how it goes? The God has made me fruitful in the land of my pain and affliction. Tim, Egypt, he's very lonely. Very lonely. As we would say in the yeshiva world, it's like this. He doesn't have no one to talk and learning with. Right? That's a genius. Uh, you know, to pull that off. To have no one to speak to and just be, you know, falling on yourself that means you talk to God. I mean, you know, that, that's what that means. You have that kind of... It has to intensify your uh, emuna, and not only emuna, but, you know, your mystical attachment to the divine. You feel like you're talking to somebody, and somebody's talking back. Because there's nobody else to talk to. I don't even know if he could talk to his wife. If she was Egyptian princess, they you know, they they did come together, but, you know, they were from worlds apart. Uh, I don't know how he explained to his kids. The Jew and the Gauls is always going to be, to some degree or another, the lonely. Uh... When you get to Eretz Yisrael, then we have dreams that affect the Then You have dreams that affect the claw. So I was just pointing out, I don't want to take too much time, I have to go somewhere now, that when you look at Parshim Mekites, you think of the fifth Gullus. Not the four Gulluses that we classically talk about, but the fifth Gullus, which is Gullus Mitzrayim. And think about how they eventually affected the Jews, and think about how Yosef, as an unusually talented person, was able to walk the tight rope successfully, and how much of that we have to um, strive, I guess, in our lifetimes, you and I who live in America for the most part. Uh, I know I have listeners in Israel, but I think most of the people here are probably in America in English-speaking countries, how you have to strive to, uh, you know, uh, walk this walk, as they say before, and uh, uh, successfully negotiate the difficulties of remaining a from Jew on the one hand, while uh, connecting with serving, and uh, being part of the outside society at the same time. For those of you in Israel, you have a different challenge. You know, it's, it's the, the, the from and the not from. That's a separate schmooze by itself. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have time to go into that because my wife is calling me, so have a good Shabbos.